0: I believe that I have a word for you today, amen? amen. Who's ready for the word? you love God's word? Yeah. Amen. Turn to Luke 15 with me today. And uh, I have a word for you found here in the story of the prodigal son, very popular story. And what I want to talk about today is that God wants you to have personal revival. And much like you would go to Granny's house and she would have all the ingredients in order to fix a good supper up on the countertop. I really believe that today in the story of the prodigal son son found in Luke 15, there are some ingredients. Everybody say ingredients. ingredients. There's some ingredients there for personal revival. So my title today is God's recipe for revival. God's recipe for revival. Because how many know if you follow the recipe, you're going to get the desired result. Amen. If you leave something out, then it won't be as good. I can remember my uncle was known for making really good chili, and he was making it one day, and I said, man, you make the best chili, and he said, well, it's a secret recipe, and I said, well, just give me at least one tip on how to make chili, and he said, here's one. He said, I only use 239 beans. (laughs) I said, 239? He said, yeah, if I used one more, it would be 240. All right, all right, all right, all right. Some of you all get that on the way home, but, but this is a very popular passage, and I want, to, I want to point out today that there are ingredients for personal revival, because I believe that if you can get personally revived, then we'll have corporate revival. In other words, if you want to know what revival is, you just draw a circle, stand in it, and say, God, revive everything within this circle, amen? So today we're going to look at that. Look at uh, Luke 15 down to verse 11, the story of the prodigal son. Very popular, but I'm going to pull some things out of here today that I believe is a recipe that if we can put these elements together, we will see a revival in our hearts, in our homes, and in our church. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided them. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead, but he is now alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Father, For these next few minutes and moments as we break the bread of your word, Lord, let it be life unto our soul and our spirit. Let it be something supernatural beyond myself. So let the anointing that's present here till up the soil of our hearts. And Lord, today, may you reveal to us the ingredients that are set out before us in order that we may have revival in our hearts. God, that we we would be responsive to your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, as your spirit settles over this place, I pray against every distraction. I pray against every voice of the enemy and pray that the voice of the Holy Spirit would be loud and clear today in Jesus' holy name. Amen? Amen. Those scriptures we just read are actually a recipe for revival. So the first thing we see here, if you're taking notes, is this. The first thing that the prodigal did when we see in scripture and it says, When he came to himself. So number one recipe for revival in your heart, and we see in the scripture, is he reflected. Everybody say reflected. Here's where revival starts. When he came to himself. So moments of reflection are moments that we consider our way or we consider the direction that we're heading. If you aren't concerned with your condition, you can't change your condition. Amen? If you don't reflect on the condition that you're in, when I think of the condition throughout the Bible of great men and women of God that we see recorded in the Bible, my thoughts go to somebody like Gideon. Gideon didn't have the best confession, but he was very much aware of his condition because God shows up under a terebinth tree and he sees Gideon in the wine in the, in the threshing thing pressing. He was in a wine press threshing the, 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 because the Philistines had come and stole stuff. And he says, hey, I'm the poorest of the families around, and I'm the least of that poor family. It wasn't a good confession, but it was a reflective confession. Or think of the widow of Zarephath. She gets encountered by the great prophet, and he says, hey, fix me something to eat. And she says, all I've got is a couple sticks and a little bit of meal. It wasn't the best confession, but it was a true confession. Or even better is Jacob. Jacob is confronted by God. He wrestles with God all night, and God asks him a question. What is your name? Because sometimes we have to reflect, because that reflection can sometimes bring pain, because Jacob had to finally see his true condition as somebody who was a liar. But what is the pain of reflection in one verse now becomes purpose a few verses later when God says you're no longer to be called liar, you're to be called Israel because you have wrestled with God and man and have prevailed. Or maybe Isaiah would be a great person who reflected of standing before a perfect holy God. He looks around and says, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. The King David would say often, Lord, create in me a clean heart, which meant he was reflecting on his condition. Church, the reason that revival starts with a place of reflection is because we don't ever change unless we reflect on the things that we need to change. And the prodigal is like, Wait a minute, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? Reflection is when you consider the things in your life and it causes a spiritual alarm to begin to go off of what you're reflecting on. It's something that begins to stir deep down in your belly and that's called the Holy Spirit of God as a believer and God wants to revive you, but if you stop at reflection, you're never going to, because many stop there, many stop at this place of reflection and they reflect on what's going on in their lives, but you've got to keep adding the ingredients to get all the way to a place of revival that we see in this passage of scripture. So everybody say reflect. To begin a revival, we have to reflect because then we see that He returned. Everybody say return. You see, after He reflected, He didn't stop there. A lot of people stopped there. Most people stop there. Many people stop there. I want to tell you today, don't stop at a place of reflection. You've actually got to get up and begin to return to God because verse 18 says this, I will arise and return to my Father. So you see, the reason reflection is where we start because you've got to come to a place where you understand of why you left what you did. You have to come to a place where you realize why you left your spouse. You've got to come and reflect on a place of why you left your family, why you left the job. You have to give reflection on why you left your relationship with God. But don't stop at reflection. We see here one of the ingredients for revival is that he got up and began to return. Well, let me say this, because I've been pastoring for quite a few years, and I'll say this from the story, just from human experience, but also understanding how God works in our life and why this is such an important part. I do not believe that the son left the farm because of the father. I believe he left the fa- the, the father because of the farm. Come on. Yeah. The father represents relationship. The farm represents boundaries and rules. Are you hearing me today? So he's returning back to a place that God, after he reflects and says, hey, look at the condition my life is in. That's a great place to start if you want to see yourself get into a place where God begins to stir in your life, stir in your heart, and bring you back to a place of personal revival. You've got to reflect on why you did what you did. And I'm sure part of the reflecting, in my opinion... Was it wasn't because I, I've learned this throughout the years. People won't even leave churches because necessarily they don't like the pastors. They leave churches because they don't like the rules and the boundaries, the parameters and the processes that a pastor puts into place. And listen, I want to just tell you straight up if you are a wild person, you do not like rules and boundaries and processes. If you have teenagers, come somebody say amen. Come on. Amen. Teens don't run away from home necessarily because they hate the parents. They don't like the rules that are present on the place. And I want to tell you something else. If you have come to this church or maybe joined this church in the last couple of years, and people come up to me often and are like, Pastor, you know, we're visiting here and we're looking for a church. And, and many of you can testify to this that are sitting here today because God has, we say, go to just any old ch- church of your choice. I don't personally believe that. Here's why. Because I believe God has a place, just like He had a place for the prodigal to come back to and plant His roots and plant His purpose and plant what the parameters were. You see, we look at God and we think if God wants to put parameters of, hey, don't do this and don't touch that and don't sleep around and don't get involved in drugs and alcohol and don't cheat on this one and don't cheat at work and all these parameters, we think it's confining, but it's not confining. It's called safety. So he had to reflect at first, but then he had to make a return because he said, I will get up and begin to return back to God. So what I tell people when they come to me is I'm like, I say, listen to me. You pray and you ask God where he wants to plant you. Because God first made places before he ever created people. And the place where you are is incredibly important because if you want to live a life of continual renewal and revival, the place where you plant yourself in is incredibly important. And I do not see in this scripture that he necessarily left because of he disliked the father. I think he disliked the farm. Mm-hmm. Because the farm is a place, it's, it's really painting a picture of relationship versus religion and rules. Amen? But don't think that religion and rules are bad in and of themselves. Religion and rules are bad when you're trying to rely upon it for your relationship with God, when really rules and what God has told us to do is to keep us safe on His pasture. Keep us safe is His children. So the first ingredient is always to reflect on your true condition. Everybody say condition. The next step is that you begin to return to the place. Listen, some of you need to return, not just to God, but you need to return to the place. Some of you need to understand and come to a place where you know why you made the decision you did, whether it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. The reason that that is important is because if you don't know why you made the decision back here, you may be doomed to continue to repeat it continually throughout your life. So then once you reflect, then you begin to return. And there's, some, there's a principle in the Word called the principle of divine placement. In Genesis 2.8, he said, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Planted means to plant, to fasten, to fix. So God planted the place, God put man in the place, and God gave purpose in the place. And I just want to just say right here, God's calling some people home. Amen? God's calling some people home. Because the risk of returning does not outweigh the reward of returning to your relationship with God. Amen? Recipe for revival. He reflected. He began to get up. He says, I'll get up and return back to my father's house. And then thirdly, he repented. Everybody say, repented. Verse 18, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, look up here and real, real clearly, I want to explain what repentance is to you this morning, because oftentimes we think that repentance is crying, boo-hooing, maybe coming and emptying a, a box of Kleenex. But honey, if there's no change in you after you've done that because the biblical understanding of repentance is a very simple word in the Bible called metanoia. And metanoia simply means to change your mind. That's literally what it means. Full stop. It's that, in other words, he reflected on his condition. He gets up and begins to make his way to the Father's house and plant himself where he was always supposed to be planted to begin with so that he could be blessed and he could flourish and he could begin to live out his purpose. And as he gets to the Father, we see this element of repentance right here. But if all you do, and I'm not saying that the emotions aren't attached to the place of repentance. I'm not saying that at all. There's many times where I pour my heart out to God. With tears I, I pray for tears because I want my heart to be soft towards God I want my heart to be tuned towards him so repentance means change your job change your mind it doesn't mean it doesn't mean change your job it doesn't mean change your spouse it doesn't mean change your year 2024 is gonna be listen if you don't have a repentance change of mind your year is going to be just like the last three or four because you haven't come to a place of repentance. And as you see here, the prodigal son changed his mind because when he first comes to the Father, listen to me. Listen to me. I got so many notes today, y'all. Just settle in. But I saw this, and I've never seen this before, and it just blew me away. Because listen to me. When he first goes to the Father, listen to this. And if you're in your Bible, go right up to the top, verse 11 and 12. And he says, give me. When he comes back to the Father, he says, make me. Mm-hmm. Give me what is... You see, I, I was like that as a young Christian. God, I, man, I fleece God every chance I got. You say, what is that? Fleecing is just, well, God, if you really want me to do this, I need these 18 signs. I need a blue bird in the sky, and I need a red car to drive by, and... I need this person to say this word to me when I walk in the door of work. You know, there's all those things. And we're kind of like that. And God puts up with that. Trust me, He does. He winks and I'm like, okay. But there's a certain level that you get to in God where you understand, listen to me, where you understand very clearly that if God gives you before He makes you, you're going to ruin what God gives you, honey. Amen. Is anybody hearing me today? Amen. So there's literally a place. So he reflected on his true condition. Look at the condition I'm in. He's probably, church, probably completely... Uh, evidently he didn't have shoes because he says, hey, bring out some sandals. And what we see in the repentance and where I really felt led strongly to go with a lot of people in this room isn't to stand up here and tell you you need to repent for this in your life and you need to repent for that. Repentance literally means a change of mind. And he was so far gone away from the Father and the Father's house and the Father's voice. Listen to me. He forgot who he was. If you spend time away from God, you're going to begin to lose your identity of who God said you are and who He created you to be. Why do I say that? Because as He's coming back, He's saying, I'll just be one of the servants. You see, you weren't cool. You weren't called to be just a servant, even though that's great to serve God. You are a child, a blood-bought, redeemed, adopted child of the living God. And listen, time away from God and time out in the world will do one thing to you and one thing that will destroy you more than any. It's not, it's not just the sin. It's not just the things that you're doing. It will destroy your identity. We have an identity crisis in the church, and it's reflected in the, in the world we live in today. Nobody knows who they are anymore, do they? And it seeps into the church where we come in to a congregation like this and begin to worship God. And and again, I'm giving you the ingredients for a personal revival in your life. And let me tell you something. What we see in these scriptures when he says, hey, go get the robe, go get the sandals, and go get the ring and place it on my son's hand because he was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. And he had forgotten. He says, hey, I'll just be one of your servants. And the father's like, no, 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 no. You are my child. And that is covenant language. And the thing some of you need to repent of is you think you walk in these doors and you come into the presence of God be based upon what you did good or what you did bad. When I walk into the door when my kids were little, never did they come running to the door and say, Daddy, Daddy, I was bad today. Spank me, spank me. No. They're usually hiding somewhere, right? That's how you knew something bad went on at home while Dad was at work. The kids aren't even around. They're hiding in their rooms. They know it's time. And you, listen, we approach God that way or... A more dangerous place to be, in my opinion. Because he reflected on his true condition. He begins to return. He repents of the sin that he knows he caused the hurt, the pain. I am, I am a sinner and I'm not even worthy to be in your household. And he's not. So we see covenant language there. Because he could have equally had, had taken off his old ratty cloak and robe he probably didn't have any shoes on. In other words, I get the impression that the prodigal was living literally in the pig slop. And, and, and believer, let me tell you something. If going out into the world and living opposed to what God has told you to do, it's pig slop. It's, it's, it's muddy. And I know this about my own life is that if I put on white gloves and play in the mud, the mud does not get glovey. Okay. So I get a picture of Him coming back. But see, we do this all the time in the opposite way because we think when God looks at us, if we've been really good, because that's how my kids were when they were really good that day too. Dad, I've been good. Dad, I've been... I've minded Mom all day. i picked up my toys. I made my bed. I, I did, I did, I did. And see, we think that that gains favor with God. And do not get me wrong. God is pleased when you make an effort to come to church, when you make an effort to Bible study, when you make an effort to worship and praise Him. But if you think that's the reason God accepts you, you don't understand covenant language in the Bible. I am in covenant with God, not because I'm such a wonderful person, because I invited somebody called the Holy Spirit into my life and into my heart. And guess what? God's in covenant with His Son and and the Holy Spirit. This is covenant language. And when somebody would make a covenant, here is what they would do. And the, the language is just so beautiful about our true standing before God. In other words, God did not give him a robe, of uh, and clothe him in a ring and sandals, because that he was so good. He gave it to him because that is his child. You hearing me today? Yes. The repentance, the change of mind for some of you is: you think if I've had a good week and I've obeyed God, then I can come into church and I can lift my hands. If I've had a, a bad, you know, a, a, a bad week and I know that I messed up over here and I thought this and I did that. Listen to me. What the enemy's trying to do is separate you from the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. Because then it just starts to, just like in the story of the prodigal son, it just begins to layer on. So when they would do covenant, and I've talked about this a long time ago, when they do covenant, they would gather all the witnesses together. And these two people doing covenant would come together. And the very first thing that they would do, so you'd have your witnesses present, and the very first thing they would do is they would they would exchange cloaks. And exchanging cloaks, and, and don't get just a coat that maybe you guys have closets. I have a closet full of coats that I don't even use because I don't live anywhere cold anymore, thank God. But I can't get rid of them because they mean something to me. And in the, the culture of Jesus' day and on back to the Old Testament, their coat, their cloak meant... More than just a coat. Think of Joseph, right? He was a coat made by his father. He was special. He was loved. He was adored. But what it is saying is when we have a cloak exchange, much like you see in repentance, in this moment where the father's like, hey, I will take your filthy rags, and I'm going to cover you with something beautiful. Something you couldn't purchase for yourself. Because in a cloak exchange and the idea of covenant in the Old Testament is you are saying everything that that person is and everything I am is being exchanged. You see, when you come to Jesus, you're giving Him your anxiety, your fear, your sin, your depression, your mess-ups, your, your and here's the thing. You're even giving Him all your righteousness. There are two things in heaven. It's your unrighteousness, and it says our righteousness is as filthy rags. So the exchange isn't just the bag. The exchange for some of you is you haven't understood that God has exchanged and covered you with a cloak. Meaning everything that He is, you are now covered with in covenant. And then they would exchange belts. And as they exchanged belts, what that meant is their weapon would have been on their belt. And what that means is that the person is saying, not only am I covering them and now they have every attribute that I have, we are now uh, binding it and bringing it together. But the weapon thing is important because it says that if you come against this person that I'm making covenant with, even if they've messed up and done wrong, you're still coming against me because I have made a vow before God to protect and watch over this other person I'm in covenant with. In other words, no weapon formed against you by the enemy doesn't, mean, doesn't say it won't be formed. It says in the word that it won't prosper. Do you know why it won't prosper? Because when the devil shows up, it's not just you fighting. It's your covenant loving Savior Jesus Christ that is standing there beside you. So they would exchange cloaks. They would exchange belts. And then they would bring out an animal, and we see this in the story. Go, go get the fatted calf. Go, get, go. Let's let's make let's celebrate. My, my son was a, dead, and now he's alive. So they would listen. They would bring out the the, the bull or the animal that was being sacrificed, and they put it between them, and literally split that thing down the middle. And as they split that thing down the middle, it would fall. And listen, this is so foreign to us, but it was like talking on the cell phone for us back then. In those, it was. Animal sacrifice was just common. And covenants were common. They understood covenant language as Jesus is giving the story. So they would cut it from all the way to the base of the skull all the way down. And it would it would fall on both sides. So what you had in the middle was a great pool of blood. And the person here that was making covenant and the person they're making covenant with would lock arms. And they would walk in a figure eight through that blood. Listen. Eight is the number of new beginnings in the Bible. And what it's saying is we are making a covenant and old things have passed away and behold, everything before you has become new because we are walking out this covenant. It's covenant language, amen? Not only would they walk through the blood hand in hand and trade belts and trade garments, but they would also, as they're, they're making this Covenant, they would. Here's what they would do they would take a knife and they would cut each other's hand right here on their palms. And after they've walked the figure eight through that covenant, they would lock elbows and lock hands. They would each cut each other. So, listen to me the sign of a covenant is a scar in your hand. Are you hearing me today? So when the enemy comes, and he always will, because that's literally his name, the accuser of the brethren. That's, his, that's literally the Satan. That's what he does. So listen to me. When you get saved, God writes his name upon your heart. And God then writes His name, your name on his hand. So that when the enemy comes to attack, when the enemy comes to accuse, when the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's like, that's Jason, I know he's blowing it, let me at him. And Jesus can say, I know it, but I'm in covenant with him. Come on, somebody. And when you're in covenant with somebody, all their weapons and everything that they are now becomes called upon by you because of covenant. Think about that. The sign of a covenant is scars on the hands. And then probably the most beautiful part of this, to me anyway, but it's often overlooked in covenant ceremonies, is that then they would each go to their own house and get a piece of bread. And they would stand there where they've cut this covenant, where they've walked through the blood, where their their hand may still be dripping blood. And they take that bread, and much like a wedding ceremony where you feed each other cake, Then they would feed each other because what they were saying is now my life is in you and your life is now in me. You see, in repentance, a lot of times it's changing our mind of just feeling like we're these beat down... Can't overcome sin, can't overcome the enemy, can't overcome sickness, can't over... But listen, a part of the recipe for revival in your life is not just reflecting, not just returning, but is repenting of even some of you that think you're not worthy to come into the presence of God. Let me tell you this morning, you aren't, but He is. And when you come in faith, listen to me real clearly, when you come in faith, you aren't coming dressed in your own robe. You're not coming against the enemy with your own weapons. You're not coming through life by yourself. It's much like one of my favorite movies, The Lion King. I like that movie. And my favorite part of the movie, whether it's the live action one or the cartoon one, is when, somebody help me out, it's Mufasa and Simba. Thank you. I knew you'd know. <laughs> Mufasa's dad Simba runs off to a faraway land and he is been, he's been created to conquer, rule listen you are a king and a priest in God's house and the sooner you begin to believe it and the sooner you begin to understand it deep in your heart, you will begin to operate it in your life, in your family's life, in your job. Every area of your life will become under that revelation that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And he's not living the way that he was created to live. He's eating worms and he's hanging out with Timba. Who was it? Pumba Pumbaa. A little warthog. You guys know what I'm talking about. Was that a little monkey or a meerkat? Meerkat. That was a meerkat. Rises on his back, and Rafiki shows up. I love Rafiki. That little baboon shows up, and he asks him what he what he's doing. He's like, oh, I'm just I'm I'm just living out here. I'm just, you know, dad's dead. And he says, Let me come show you your father. He gets excited, doesn't he? My dad's alive, and he leads him over to a pool of water. And when Simba looks down, he's disappointed because he sees his own reflection. And, and uh, Rafiki says, look again. As the water clears, he begins to see his father in himself. Because he says, your father's not dead because he lives inside of you. You're in covenant with God. You see, the Old Testament is absolutely perfect. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the Old Testament isn't perfect. It is absolutely perfect in every way. You hear me? The problem that God had was a huge one. The system of covenant would have worked perfectly if the other person on the other side of the covenant would have kept the covenant. But the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament covenant with, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to bless you in this land. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you your purpose. I'm going to make you a light to the nations. All the nations are going to see you and they're going to begin to, to be jealous for who God is. And what they do, they kept breaking the covenant and breaking the covenant and breaking the covenant. And God finally says, okay, I got a problem and I'm going to fix it. Since, since I can swear by no one greater, I'm going to send my son. Are you hearing me? And I'm going to make covenant with my Son and, on the in, and place my Spirit on me. Do you realize that God's in covenant with who's on the inside of you, and that's the Holy Spirit today. So you reflect, you begin to return, and then you begin to repent. And repentance isn't just looking at a laundry list of things that maybe you've done or haven't done. But today I want maybe even some of you need to repent for just being so down on yourself. Amen? So, listen, the world and the devil will beat you up enough. You don't need to do it for him. Amen? God said, I'm going to solve that problem with covenant. I'm going to make a covenant. With, I'm not going to make a covenant with man anymore. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to put the spirit of my son in them. And then I'm going to make a covenant with myself. What is our job? Our job is to continually respond to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our job is to continually move into the life that's provided for you already in Jesus Christ. The farm hadn't changed. The father still was waiting and looking for the son. The father still loved the son. What the son was keeping him away was a wrong thought that the father didn't want him to come back. And today, I want to call some prodigals home in this house that you are thinking, I've messed up so bad that I can never get back to the father. Listen to me. He's calling you home. Number four today, after he repents, he was restored. Everybody say restored. Aren't you thankful that God's a restoring God? He gives him a ring. He gives him shoes. He gives him a robe. Listen, revival comes with being restored. The Bible says that God would restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. That God is a restoring God. So something that was lost through even sometimes our own bad mistakes or decisions can be restored. And do you know what I hope that God is restoring to the people of God in the season that we're presently in when God's Spirit is so tangible and so close? I want Him to restore to some of you the joy of your salvation. Amen? And it says that, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because some of y'all have been empty long enough. Amen. Some of y'all have need to be filled again. The joy of the Lord, the Word of God says, is our strength. So if you came in here and you feel like, Pastor, I can't take another step, let the Holy Spirit fill you with joy today. Let God restore to you the joy of of just simply understanding that God has saved you, not because of your righteousness, but because of His goodness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number five, it says, He was revived. Everybody say revived. Now we're starting to get there. It's a a recipe. It's a recipe, y'all. He begins, because it says this, For my son was a dead, and now he is alive. How do you know when you're revived? Let me tell you how you know you're revived. You're responsive. Everybody say responsive. When you begin to respond to the moving of God, you know you're on a way of revival in your life. So in a service when the encouragement comes to lift your hands, you just keep them in your pocket. When you're in a service and the encouragement comes to lift your voice, you just quiet as a church mouse. Listen to me. We need to be revived because revived people respond to the moving of God the way that they should. Okay? There's a story in the Bible of David, and they're like, "We don't know if the king's alive or dead. We get, we're getting no response." So they take a young lady and a name Abishag and throw her in there. No response, and they're like the king is dead. You see, there needs to be a response. When something is alive, it responds. When I go to the doctor and sit on the table to get a physical, what do they do? They bring out that little triangle, little rubber mallet. I hate seeing that thing out. Like, I know what you're going to do. But listen to me. Somebody that's on a way of being revived truly in their life, the natural responses are those that please God. What do I mean by that? When they hit my knee, I don't have to think about it. It just moves. Sometimes I'll give it an extra and they just <laughs> kick the doctor like, thanks. See, our response to God and what He's doing in our life is so important because it's the very thing that will continue to keep you filled. The very thing that will keep you close to God and staying on the farm. It was a response. You see... When I got saved, nobody had to tell me to go to church. It was a response of a new heart. Nobody had to tell me to tithe. It was a natural response. Nobody had to tell me to lift my hands in worship because it was a natural response of understanding of how much I had been forgiven of in what God had done in my life. You see, so much of our Christian life should just be a response of God's goodness in our life. Are you hearing me today? I just responded to the touch of God in my life. So when God begins to move, you see, once you go from reflection to return and you've come to the Father and you you call it what it is, He says, Father, I have sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. Make no mistake about it. There was a breaking of relationship. But I want to point out in repentance that sin doesn't just separate you from God. Listen to me today. It separates you from you. Some of you, that will click sometime for some of you. Because it, it separates the you that God created you to be. And there's nothing that delights God more than you just becoming who, in a very natural way, in a very love relationship covenant way understanding that God went through all this you 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 wear his armor you are dressed in the in a in a marriage garment he's provided everything the parable of the marriage supper where somebody gets kicked out is because they wanted to come to the party but they didn't want to wear the garment you hearing me number 6 it says he rejoiced everybody say rejoiced Verse 24, and they began to make merry. You see, he begins by reflecting, but he ends with rejoicing. This isn't regular rejoicing either. This is the kind of rejoicing that rubs people the wrong way. (laughs) How do I know that? Because it rubbed the older brother the wrong way. He comes out, he's been working hard in the field, the other knucklehead brother has taken his inheritance and run off and squandered it. I'm not sure what riotous living is, but I'm sure it was riotous. Amen. I'm sure it was something else. And he comes out and he begins to see this merriment, this party, this fatted calf killed and the, everybody's celebrating. And the reason I know that it rubs people the wrong way is because I have rubbed people the wrong way. Am I rejoicing before God? <laughs> I have. I was an usher at the church that I got saved in. I just wanted to serve. Again, it was just a response. Look, at, look at, God, look at what you've brought me out of. The drugs, the alcohol, the running from the call on my life from 13 to 23. I was so broken, so messed up, and so despondent and knew no way to forward and no way to go. And I knelt down in an altar and poured my heart out to God and listened to me. I was born again. I got an extra dose of born again. I did. I just got a, the birds were chirping louder. The grass was greener. The flowers were prettier the next morning. Because I had something in my heart and mind when I went to bed on that Sunday night and woke up Monday morning to go to work. My thought going to bed was, what if he leaves me tonight? And listen, my rejoicing, I I actually got called off to the side by the head usher because he's like, you're supposed to be at the back door helping people in, seating people. The church was just booming, packed to the gills. It started with 12 people. Within six years, it was 500 brand-new Christians. Revival. It was a revival. And man, God would get to moving in that place. And I'd take my jacket off and begin to run them (laughs) out. You see, rejoicing is a natural response of somebody that's truly, truly, truly been touched by God. And I rub people the wrong I'm that dude you didn't want to be in the row by. I'm sweating. Come on, Jesus. Come on. You want to know how I know that people that really have been touched by God and really worship Him in spirit and truth rub people the wrong way? I'll take you to a house party that Jesus attends. The house party Jesus attended had his disciples, a main high-level Pharisee, and they have a dinner. And Jesus shows up, and nobody had given him any oil to wash off with, hadn't washed his feet. Just say, ah, come on. In other words, when you begin in your life to treat Jesus and his presence common, you're in trouble. And the reason that you're in trouble is those who have been touched and they begin to rejoice, they begin to worship, they begin to pour their heart out. I just want to tell you something this morning. You rejoice in the way that God has touched your life and this place will absolutely come alive with revival. And the reason I know it rubbed people the wrong way is because even His disciples are like, does He not know? She She came in with a very costly anointment oil, and with her, listen, with her hair and with her tears, began to to wash the feet of Jesus Christ, Begin to worship him with something that was costly to her. And it rubbed people the wrong way. But church, just like me, running around the sanctuary, waving my jacket, that was as real as it could possibly be because it was a response from a heart that said, how could you ever save somebody like Jason Hanks? How could you make me new? How could I feel this love and peace and acceptance and goodness and, and, and purpose in my life now that I didn't have before? How could this possibly be? But you see, when people haven't been where you've been and when you're there worshiping, they don't get the there because they weren't there. Come on, somebody. You see, you have to be there. You see, the woman of the night, the prostitute that was wiping his hair and pouring something out, see, she had been in the darkest of the dark. And she's saying, Honey, you weren't there when He delivered me from demons. You weren't there when He forgave me of my sinful lifestyle. So even though you weren't there, I'm here now saying I'm going to worship God because that's my response from the goodness of God in my life. Some of you want to judge other people that are there worshiping. Oh, why don't you just quiet down? Listen to me. I don't want to pastor a dead church. And the ingredients for a revival are you've got to reflect on your true condition right here, right now, today. Then you can't stop at reflecting. If you just reflect and don't begin to return back to the Father, it's all for naught. And if you get to the Father and you're almost walking... How many times maybe did He get to the end of the long driveway going up to the Father's farm and Father's house? And I don't believe He left because He didn't love the Father. He left because He didn't like the farm. Listen to me. If you're going to come to God, you come to God on His terms, honey, not your own. So you're coming back to the place of fruitfulness. You're coming back to the place of being planted. You're coming back to the place... And that causes us to have a moment of repentance. Not just from our sin and our dead works and the things that we do and know we shouldn't and all that. It's also a repentance of trying to offer to God, well, I've got some filthy rags here. In other words, God, look at my righteousness. Listen, He is not impressed by your righteousness. I assure you. If He were, He wouldn't have had to send His very own Son to die in your place. He's not impressed by that. You know who impresses Him? Jesus. Do you know who loves you? Jesus. Do you know who was offered to fight your battles? Jesus. Do you know who walked the covenant in His own blood with the Father as witness in agreement? Jesus. So when you get full of Jesus and you're alive, anything that's alive has a response. If you've taken CPR, you know this. The first thing you do when you go up is you give the sternum robe. Right, Doc? Sternum robe. Thank you. Tanya, your nurse, sternum robe. Why? Because you're trying to get treat it this morning as just a little sternum rub from God. Amen? Because if you come into here and you get into the presence of God and your response is, well, I don't want to don't want to cause any problem. Don't want you to cause problems. But I want you to know that when your heart has really been touched, you can't help but worship God. You can't help but lift your voice to Him. It's a natural response. From somebody whose life has been radically touched and radically unchanged. It's an ingredient for revival. Then we judge other people because you weren't there. We like to judge them in here. Come on. When people haven't experienced what you've experienced, they will judge how you rejoice. Amen. When people haven't experienced what you've experienced, they will judge how you rejoice. Buddy, if I could have you come as I wind this thing down. This is the recipe. These are the ingredients. It's much like going to grandma's house. You go to grandma's house. I used to go to my grandma's and she was always baking something. And what she would do, is, many of your grandmas or moms that are present here today or I don't bake. I grill. No, come on. I burn meat. Leave that bacon to the women in the kitchen. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 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 Because George makes the best cupcakes you'll ever eat. So sweet, sweet, sweet. I always have to mess with George. He sits on the furniture. But listen, when you go to Granny's up on the countertop. Are a lot of different ingredients, and if you go to the countertop as I did as a kid, I'd put my finger in the salt. Ooh, that ain't good. Put my finger in the egg she had busted and put in the bowl. Ooh. Now that confection sugar, that's that was pretty good. That's not, so you say oh, that's not too good. That's that's okay. That's pretty good. But see, when God says. That He works all things together for good. That is a recipe for who your God is in revival in your life. Because individually, the salt didn't taste that good. This didn't taste that good. That vanilla extract that I put my finger in taste. But put it in the hands of a master. Like my granny. You hearing me? And listen, God gets that big old bowl of life out and there's some things some of you are walking through and God's just kind of placing it in there. He's making a recipe of your life. And listen, when He gets it all together, He says, well, let me add a little bit of grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? Oh. And then He says, let me add some mercy in there. And God gets that big whisking spoon out. Come on, somebody. And He begins to stir. Some of you are being stirred up in this season. We've fasted, we've sought God, we've prayed. My encouragement today is don't stop in the process of the ingredients that God is working and moving and mixing into your life because He's creating something far greater than what you could ever believe or think if you let the Master have all His way with what He's making. We can't say to the master like it says in the scriptures that he's making the clay and he has the right to do away and restart it. He has the right to mold it how he wants to mold it. And he has the right to put it all together the way that he wants it put together because I've learned in my life some things that I'm walking through that I look at in the moment that are bad really ended up being the best things that ever happened to me because they kept me closer to God. And some of the things that I rejoiced at and said, man, this is so good in the moment, seemed good, but they took me away from God and they ended up being the worst things that ever happened to me. So my point is, don't judge yourself halfway through the journey of the ingredients that God is putting together in your life, because the Lord is good and His mercy endureth forever. The Lord is is for you as a believer, as somebody that's been adopted into his, into his kingdom. I'm not talking about people that aren't in relationship with him. We're going to take care of that in just a moment. If you want to come into the kingdom, today would be a wonderful day to do that. He's mixing those things together. And listen, the recipe of revival is when we finally reflect. That causes us to get up and begin to move towards God. And when we're welcomed into God's presence, the very first thing you need to do is say, God, what do I need to repent of? What, what do I need to change my mind about? And once you repent, then we see there's a restoration that begins to take place in a believer's life. And listen, when you start to get restored, when you start to understand that God is actually bringing some things full circle in your life that you haven't prayed about in 25 years, but God is so good, He doesn't forget a single one of those prayers. Not a one. God begins to restore things to you. And listen to me, if you want to know what revival is, it is a group of people that have come together and simply rejoice at how good God is. doesn't mean you've had a good week. It may have been a bad week, but God is still good. Amen? Stand with me this morning. The recipe for a revival found in the story of the prodigal son. Because we're invited to do this. Talking about recipes. We're invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. And that's really what Jesus offers to us by way of preaching and teaching and being in an atmosphere like this today of faith. Is He's offering you Himself. That divine exchange for you to be covered and something beautiful that you could not pay for, that you could not earn, that you could not get yourself. Listen, I get people giving me grief all the time. I say all the time, occasionally. because I. And what it boils down to is the things that I tell you, people say, that's too good to be true. Church, if I'm preaching the gospel and you don't say that's too good to be true, I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing it Right. It is too good to be true that we are lost and separated from God. We have no way to get to God. But God didn't wait for us to get to Him. He came to us, lived among us a sinless life, hung on a tree to pay the debt that you and I could never pay. Do you know how many, it would take eternity to pay off our, sin, our debt of sin. Eternity. But when Jesus said, it is finished. Had somebody ask me one time, I think they were diagnosed they knew I was a pastor, but they were like, I think it was a diagnostic thing. You want to see if I was really saved. There's pastors out there that aren't saved. You guys know that, right? Okay. Okay. They're not. They're they like the fried chicken dinners and the paycheck. Come on. So he's asking me and I, I th- kind of threw him a curveball with my answer because I said, he said, Well, when were you saved? And I know what it is. It was February, February nineteenth, nineteen ninety seven. I know I know that. And I said, 2,000 years ago. (laughs) When Jesus said, it is finished, we know that the scripture simply says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we forget about the next verse for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, they might be saved. So who did God died for? Everybody under the sound of my voice. What is God offering? He's offering himself to be in your place so that you can come into relationship with him, but it takes a moment of reflection. Bow your head and close your eyes. It takes a moment of reflection to reflect on your true condition today. And this is between you and God. This is between you and God. Take a moment and reflect on any area where you're apart from the Father. Take a a moment and reflect on any area that you know in your heart through conviction, not condemnation. Condemnation leaves you with no hope. conviction shows you the hope that you have in Jesus. Take a moment and just reflect and say, Lord, if, like David said, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. It means David's heart got wrong and he had to reflect and repent. I want to ask this question today. Anybody under the sound of my voice, the, the Holy Spirit, if your heart's beating out of your chest and you feel like you want to leave this room, that's him. Because at 13 years old, that was me. My grandfather was preaching to 2,000 people and it was an evangelistic service at a camp meeting. I looked at my grandma and I said, I need to get out of here and I wish she would have not let me go because I think if I'd been there five more minutes, I'd have given my heart to the Lord. But listen, you can't escape from God. (laughs) He will continue to chase you and pursue you. That's who He is. And let me ask you this for some of you. Aren't you just tired of fighting your battles on your own? When God offers his help, God offers his Holy Spirit, God offers his covenant to fight for you, his covenant to come against your enemies because you're in covenant with him. Let me ask this question. Who would just say, I want to surrender everything to Jesus this morning and get saved. Would you put your hand up right there where you are? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working and moving in people's hearts and lives. Listen, we do not pray together out of routine. We pray together so that you can pray this prayer. And it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ came to earth, died on the cross and shed His blood for you for the forgiveness and remission of sins and rose again on the third day, you are now crossed over from dark to light. You have crossed over from dead to alive. You say, man, that sounds, that sounds too simple. God did not make this complicated. So let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I come back to you today and I ask you to forgive me, to wash me clean. I repent of my sin and I come home to you. Clothe me today in a robe of righteousness. Put your authority upon me. Save me. Come into my life. Change my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's praise God this morning for folks who given their hearts to the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, once again, thank you for being in the house today. Thank you for making this a priority, and this is the start to your week. Today is actually the first day of our our week, and I pray and believe that you'll have a great week. Remember those ingredients, okay? Remember those ingredients of revival and that God wants us to respond to his touch when we come into his presence. Amen. Let me bless you today. Lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless Christian Center Church. Father, today as it's raining and the roads are kind of wet, I pray extra special protection upon these precious believers today. The Lord, they will be blessed as they come in and blessed as they go out, blessed in their homes and blessed at work. Father, turn your face towards them. And your countenance rise upon them and you would give them peace and favor. And God, mercy and goodness will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, I bless the people today. For it's in Jesus' name that we say and do all, Father. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Go Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed today. Be blessed.